that's what we're talking about tonight and our last act, last act. And tonight we're going to wrap it up, our sermon series, The Last Act. And uh, I think, Wayne, if you'll record this tonight, uh, we'll put this on our website uh, for those who miss. But The Last Act. And uh, let's pray over this, and uh, we're going to spend some time in prayer tonight. Uh, I just feel like the Lord does just want us to kind of be in His presence uh, before we end here tonight. But uh, let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank You for who You are. Thank You for Your presence here tonight. God, I pray You would anoint me to speak what You want me to speak. Uh, I pray that You would uh, challenge us and encourage us and build us up, Lord, to be all that, Father, You would have us to be in Your Holy Spirit and for the glory of Your Son, to be the church that You have desired to build. And the people, Father, who are willing to fill it and, and do the work uh, in these last days' harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last act. The end time church is the church of Acts. And the church of Acts continues today. And we are that final chapter, that last act, that last curtain call. And you and I have the privilege. While Peter's lap and Paul's lap and the early church's lap was important... It's no more important than your lap and my lap today. Just like in a relay race, that last time, often the last person has to make up the difference. When that last Olympic runner takes that baton, if his team has been slow, he is going to try to press through even more so to get to the prize. And I believe that you and I, and I hope you can understand this, and so many people today are shrugging off responsibility in the church, in the house of God. Shrugging off responsibility that it, it's not my concern. I just want to fade into the crowd. I want to go to a large church and just sit in and sit out and swing in and swing out. And maybe I'll pay my tithes and maybe I'll go to a small group and maybe my kids will come to church here or there. There's been a, a shift of irresponsibility, of a lack of commitment but even more, to understand in this last days that your ministry may be as important corporately in this church as the Apostle Paul's ministry. Can you imagine that the churches that have gone on before, the revivals that have happened, the movements in China and Argentina and Latin America and all these places, that your responsibility is as great as theirs, that your call is as great as theirs, that our commitment to serve Christ in these last days, to build up His church, no matter how many people we have, no matter who's coming in, that we would be faithful to have a mighty move of God and to do the work that's called uh, uh, by God for us to do. And so are you and I willing to be a part of God's final chapter? And I'm going to review real quick, because this is number five in our series. We talked about number one was knowledge that there would be a true knowledge of Jesus Christ in the last day's church, and they would be lovers of the Word, haters of hypocrisy, the Bible says. They would, uh, while the world grows ignorant of truth, and they can't even understand what sin is, what right or what wrong is, that we would have a revelation of Jesus Christ, a true uh, re a relationship with Jesus Christ in a personable, tangible way, and that we would have a reverence, a deep awe, to know Jesus, and that's where we would live and, and, and be a true knowledge, an intimate relationship. That's what it means of Jesus Christ. And then, number two, that there would be holiness in the church today. And I'm not talking about how we measured on the outside, but it would be something that says on the inside, I have been set apart and consecrated for a divine 
purpose. That holiness, really when it comes down to it, means purpose. It means something that is sanctified as holy and set apart for only God to use. And that's where I want my life to be. That nobody can use my life but God. When, I, uh, was, uh, when God gave me the gift of playing the harmonica... I knew I, no one ever gave me lessons, and it was a young age, from the age of seven or eight, uh, that I began to start playing and practicing. I said, God, I'm never going to play this instrument for anything but Christian music. It's sanctified. It's a gift from God, and it's only for God. And that's what our lives should be like. It's only for God. And nobody can use this temple, and this temple is not for TV's use. Not saying a TV is wrong, but I'm saying that I'm not going to let my body get absorbed by this or by that or this agenda or that agenda. It's only for the purpose of God. Perseverance was number three that says that it's going to take more perseverance, more dedication as these days grow dark to have faith and not fear. The Bible talks a lot about fear will take over a man's heart, that his heart will fail him in the last days, that the love of men will grow cold. There'll be a fearful place. It'll be a place of locking your doors and windows and, and look at all the people getting concealed and carries. It's, this is prophesied that this has never been in the history of the world, such fear that you don't trust people anymore. It's, it's taken over. Terrorism has risen. That's fear. It said that fear would come upon these last days and we see terrorism. Striking fear in these last days. So we have to be a people that perseveres, that has courage and hope, overcomes doubt. And even when others fade away in the church, even when it looks like church attendance might be going down or commitment might be going down, that I say, I, as for me and my household, we're going to stand here and serve the Lord no matter if no one shows up in this building or not. I'm going to be all in. That's what it takes to be a part of persevering. And number four was prayerful said that we would be prayerfully aware. Jesus said, watch and pray that our eyes are on the sky looking for Jesus' soon return. And I'm always in prayer, knowing the spiritual hour because the disciples missed out on the spiritual hour of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And I believe it'll be the same way for the last day's church, that they will be a church, uh, sorry, for the uh, corporate church, uh, for many who are playing church, that is, that they will be on vacation It'll be a, 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 a casual, a c'est la vie uh, kind of a church. And they will not, they will be caught off guard. And the Bible talks a lot about being a thief in the night, not knowing when he's coming. And uh, it, the same will be true for many, but those that are watching and praying will be anticipating. And no, I believe that God in the last day will begin giving dream, more dreams and more visions, more revelations to those that are ready for the rapture. Jesus came to marry Joseph, Simon, or Simeon, and Anna all because they were ready and watching for the Messiah's first coming. And so that's, I think the same is true. For those that don't lose hope or focus on the rapture, that's the ones that will receive the rapture. That's what I believe. And so if we stop talking about the rapture, we stop talking about Jesus' soon coming, then we can be sure to be left behind because those that are anticipating His return, those that are watching and praying, will be the last day's church. And finally, here's where we are tonight, is love. Love. I want so bad, when I was making these and God was speaking these to me, and I, most of this came from an exhaustive study of, of the epistles, I wanted to put in there spiritual power or speaking in tongues or signs and wonders. Love. Love. Love is the fifth trait. Now, there are many traits, but love is the fifth trait of the last day's church. And I'm going to kind of give you a key on why love 
is. All right, so love. It'll be that they will love God more than they love themselves. They'll be true worshipers of spirit and truth. They'll not be lovers of pleasure or money, but will maintain humble servants' heart despite all things. They will forgive when others do not. They will be people of peace and hope and love in a society that is turning more and more towards hatred and disobedience and rebellion and selfish gain. You know how hard it's going to be to love when people are getting meaner and meaner by the day? People are getting meaner and meaner by the day because the love of man is growing cold. That's even more so for the church to steadfast in love. Got your Bibles? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Know the love of God. The fifth trait of the last act church, the last day's church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. Probably one of my most favorite few verses in the Bible. Probably my most favorite chapter of the Apostle Paul. Uh, one of my most favorite. I got all kinds of favorites. But Ephesians 3, verse 16. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Okay. Paul is praying over his most favorite church. And he wants to, he, he loves this church. It's a church that he was at in revival for 18 months. He loves them. And so he's blessing, he's, pointing, he's praying what he wishes for them. And I love what he prays over his church. I prayed over my own life. I prayed over you all uh, regularly. And he says this, that he would grant you according to the riches. Everybody say riches. Riches of his glory to be strengthened. How many want some strength? With power through his spirit. All these words are specifically chosen by Paul. He prays, I want you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, where? In the inner man, that is the innermost being, like we talked this morning, to the depths of your soul, I want you to be filled with Holy Spirit strengthening power. Man, that's a good prayer. I'm praying for this church to be strengthened to the core of your soul with Holy Spirit power. And here's how he says it's going to happen. So that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, okay? So I'm praying this power in the Holy Spirit to the depths of your soul so that Christ will dwell in your heart through faith and that you will be rooted and grounded in love. I'm praying the Holy Spirit power in you so you'll know Christ, but that you'll be rooted and grounded in love. You don't hear too many Pentecostal sermons that talk about the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of love. I found that was interesting. This changed my life. This, this verse literally set me on a whole new course in my spiritual walk uh, about seven years ago. And so he says, I'm praying Holy Spirit power for you to the depths of your soul not for you to do signs and wonders and see some awesome moves of God and people slain in the Spirit and some Jericho marches and a Sunday night, hallelujah, shout it down service, but that you'll be so depth, to know the depth and the height. Let's get to that because I'm jumping ahead of myself. All right, so that you will be rooted and grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend. That means to put into your mind that you can even, even grasp with all the saints, that's the key, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. <laughs> he says, I want you to comprehend it, but it's going to surpass your knowledge, all right? That you may be filled up. Everybody say filled up. Filled up to the fullness of God. Jesus was filled without measure of the Holy Spirit. The Bible said he had the Holy Spirit without measure. This is what Paul is referencing here. He says, I pray you some Holy Spirit, shout it down power to the depths of your soul, Joe, 
that you could just have some power, that you would be strengthened to the depths of you so that you'll love. But you're, guess what? You, I want you to comprehend it, but the only way you're going to comprehend it, the, the width and the length and the height and the depth of his love is one with everybody. You can't do it alone. You can't even grasp God's love alone. You have to grasp God's love together with the church. Mm. He says, with all the saints. You don't understand God's love until you understand his body of Christ, the church, until you start loving one another, so you start sh- sharing one another, so you tar- start attending and being a part together. You can't understand God's love coming once in a while. You can't understand God's love without serving one another. You can't understand God's love without giving the missions. Mm-hmm. You can't understand God's love unless you're connected, rooted, and grounded with all the saints. He says, then you'll have the fullness of the Holy Spirit like Jesus without measure. wonder why we don't see revival. I wonder why we don't see the depth of the Holy Spirit birthing passion and power in us. Because maybe we're a little selfish. Maybe American church is a little selfish that we're not ready to get rooted and grounded. We're not ready to get all involved in one another's lives and share and love one another like the early church was ready to do. Because what did they do? They gave up their property. They moved in with one another. Ouch, right? We don't even want our own family moving in with us, much less people, you know. Uh, They shared all that they had, and it says all that they had in Acts was in common. And they shared their possessions. They loved And the Holy Spirit was fruitful in that. This amazed me. Amazed me. What Paul is saying, he says, you, and this is what the Lord spoke to me in this passage when I was reading it in my own personal prayer time in Kingston, Jamaica, on a missions trip, ready to go into ministry. And before I became a pastor, he says, Heath, if you want more of the power of my Holy Spirit, you've got to know my love. Got to know my love, love, the love of Christ is the key to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not signs and wonders. It's not even the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That comes because you understand who Christ is and how much He loved you. That you get all in to worship Him. And often in worship, the Holy Spirit begins to fill you up. And things happen. Tongues and signs and wonders and the power of God comes over you because you get so captivated by the love of God. And you get ready to be used. When I, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was because I surrendered my plans and purposes for my life. I let God's love come in. I said, God, I love you enough to give up everything. I'll give you up my future. I don't care what I look like anymore. I don't care what I sound like. I don't care what my mouth does. I don't care if I run around this church screaming and hollering. I just want to know you. I love you. That's where it comes. That's the fullness. And so that's what Paul is praying for you and I today. That's what God's Spirit is praying over us today. In Jamaica, I, uh, on this mission trip, about the same, I think it was the same day that God spoke this to me, or within a few days, we went down to the streets, we did a prayer walk in like the very bad part of Kingston in the ghetto, and uh, it was pretty scary stuff. And then we get back on the bus, and we're going back up to the top of the mountain to go to the orphanage where we were staying, and a man stops our bus, and you're always like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And this guy, kind of out of his mind, is what we thought, and he kind of probably was. But he gets on the bus, you know what he does? 
He's an older guy, scruffy beard. And he was a, you know, he's a black guy, gray hair, tattered clothing. He gets on the bus, and the, the missionary starts kind of talking to him. And, you know, he opens the bus door, and he's kind of there. But then he just kind of comes on the bus. And he don't know who we are, that we're on a mission ship. We look like we're all the only white people in the area. So they probably knew we were from America and something like that. And he begins preaching the gospel. I thought, man, this is amazing. One, he's a little crazy. But two, he just stopped the bus and got on there. He says, I don't know who you are. You know, and I don't even remember what he said, but it was something along the lines of that you just got to know Jesus and him crucified. And he started talking about the cross and that Jesus is the only way. And preaching. We're all filled up Holy Spirit missionaries, right? And in that moment, the Lord spoke to me, and, and it wasn't like an a, a, a audible speak. It was like a visual. Now, I don't know if it was in a vision, but it was like, uh, you know what Google Earth is, okay? You see on these TV shows, or if you ever go to Google Earth, for those of you who don't know, it's this like satellite picture of Earth, right, where you can zoom in and see your house, Right? And it was this zoom in, zoom out, where you just take a big picture and you zoom all the way down and you can zoom out and you can play with it. All right? In that moment, I saw that, that it was like God was zooming into my house and then zooming into this guy. And I felt in that moment connected to this man. I thought, I don't know him. I don't know his life. I don't know what he's doing in this world. I don't know where he is today. He could be dead. He could be preaching another bus. But he and I... I don't know his name, but we'll spend eternity together. You see, in that moment, I kind of grasped something in missions that around the world, there are other people just like me who are getting all into Jesus, who have their own life, who have their own, own way of living, and, and I don't have anything in common with this guy except Jesus Christ. And he and I are connected. We're family because of that. And I've never, I can't even explain how I felt other than I understood what God was saying. He said, Heath, you're rooted with this guy. You're connected with this guy. There's something bridging the gap between you and your family. And he lives a thousand miles away in a country that I've only been to once on a street. I don't even know where I was. And I don't even know his name. But we're family. There are people in Africa today that you're family with. There are people in China, South America, Belize, where we're going. And I'm going to go get to see some of my family in June. And I may never see them again, but I'm rooted together with them. And see, God wants us to understand something. We cannot exist alone as the body of Christ, whether it's from here to Maranatha to First Baptist to Midway Baptist down the way, or if it's all the way to Kingston, Jamaica, to Belize, to China. We're all the same people. We're God's children, and we must be rooted and grounded. We must have a heart for missions. We must have a heart for people in our community. We must have a heart of love, because the only way Sanctuary Family Worship Center can even comprehend the love of God, the only way Sanctuary Family Worship Center can receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit without measure and the power and strength of the Holy Spirit is if we begin to love the body of Jesus Christ. One another. Outside of this church and within this church. I want to give you four quick things about love that I've learned about love in my short years of life and ministry. Those of you who are older and more mature and wiser can add on to this at the end. But number one, I've learned that love is a choice. 
unconditional love says this. says that no matter what you say or what you don't say, what you do or what you don't do, who you are or who you become, I will choose to love you. That's what God did. That's what He does every day. Whatever you do to me, whether you stay with me or you don't, I will always love you. You know God, I believe, He loves people that are going to hell. He loves people that are in hell. But they have to choose to love Him in return. See, God's love is never ending. It's without fail. He chooses to love us, and the door of love is always open to us. Love number two is an action. Love doesn't just come from vocal words. Those of you, who you can write this down as marriage advice. But love is a choice. Love is an action, number two. It doesn't just come from vocal words. It's physical, physical actions that illustrate self-sacrifice. It doesn't just give gifts of blessing, but it endures the lack of want or the want for the sake of another. Love says, I'll lay down my life for you. In 1 John 3.18, we know that says, don't just love with word or tongue, but in action or deed and in truth. Love is an action. Thank God that Jesus just didn't love us from heaven, but He took action to save us. Number three, love is a change. Love changes things. Love changes people. Love changes me. And Paul illustrates that by knowing the love of Christ, it can go beyond any logic or reason. The world wants to have somebody that loves them with no reason. Why are you sacrificing for me? Why are you giving? Why do you keep calling me? Why, do you, why does your church care? Love. It's the love of God. It doesn't have to have, have to have a reason to love people. Everybody wants a reason to love somebody. But Jesus' kind of love is just a love that never ends. It doesn't, doesn't, it's no respecter of person, and it doesn't change. Love, I truly believe and uh, that very few modern believers, myself included, really understand the love of God and really have the fullness of it working in our lives. Some, of, some people have such a gift of this and gift of service, and that's something I've got to, a lot of us, myself included, have to really work at. But a lot of times we wait for this emotion to overtake us. God, give me love for the lost. Let it overtake me. I think sometimes He does that, but most of the time He don't think He does. I think He wants us to just love them to make the choice to take an action to sacrifice for somebody. Because for a long time, I wanted an emotion to take me over and just, God, give me a heart for missions. God, give me a heart for, for the lost. God, give me a heart for the homeless. God, give me a... But how can I have a heart for someone that I'm never around, that I don't want to be around, that I don't want to sacrifice, that I'm not putting myself in a place? And so I can have a heart for the homeless, but how can I have a heart for the homeless without ever moving myself to be around homeless people? Right? Come on. You know, I have a heart for our kids' church and our youth ministry, but how can I have a heart for it but not want to be around them or not want to sacrifice my time for them? Love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is a change. And I believe that we truly see that love like God's love can't be contained or compartmentalized in our life, but it's got to change us. And... The last one is love is a prize. Love is a prize. I have to ask ourselves this. Why do I love? Why do I choose? Why do I choose love? Why am I going to act on love? And how is love going to change me? And why is love a prize? You have to ask yourself this. 
Why do I love? The Bible says that God demonstrates His own love for us, so when we were still sinners, Christ died. And John, 1 John 4, 19 says that we love. Why? Because He first loved us. Why should we love? Because He first loved us. You don't need a greater reason than that. He loved you when you weren't lovable, so we have to love others. And how do I love? 1 John 4, 7, John's all about love. He says, Beloved, what do, I, what do you love? Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love, why do I love? Because God first loved us. Lust, sorry, God first loved us. What do I love? I've got to love other people as myself. You know the greatest command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the first is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why do I love? God first loved me. What do I love? I've got to love other people more than myself because God first loved me. And what don't I love? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Do not. Everybody say, do not. Do not love the world. Love people, but do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Love is a prize. Love is a prize. And God deserves my love. God deserves my love, and it's a prize. It's something, your love, whether it be to your spouse or to your kids, is, is, is a, a wealth of you, a sacrifice of you, a time commitment of you. It's a choice from you. It's an action from you. And the very best of you is do God. The very best of me is due unto God. It is my gift unto Him. My, it is a prize, a value, uh, something treasured. And he says that we are his treasured possession. We are his uh, people for his possession. We have to understand and teach our church and teach our children to understand your love. You're going to love something. You're going to sacrifice for something. You're going to choose to give up your time, your commitment, your energy. You're going to choose to give up the way you think to something. It's either going to be the world or yourself or God. And so if your love is, it's true love demands priority. Your spouse demands priority in your life. That's do them. But God first has got to be exclusive. He is a jealous God. He's got to be the number one choice and priority in my life. And I've got to choose to love Him more than anything else, even my family. I've got to choose. Jesus was so radical, church. He's coming soon. Jesus was so radical, that he said, you've got to, in the comparison of how much you love me, you've got to hate your family. He didn't say hate your family. He says, in the measure of how much you love me, you've got to hate your family. Meaning, if it would come down to it, and God said choose, it's like they put that dog in the room, two people are getting divorced, they want the dog to choose which person they go to, that dog has to choose. If it came down to it, and God put himself and my family on one side, I'd have to choose him. It has to be to that degree of my life that I love him more. And I know, just like Abraham, if he calls me to kill my family, Lord willing that he does not. But just like Abraham knew that if I follow God, he's got a better way. He can raise my family up from the dead. He can provide me uh, a, a new way. 
a better way that I don't have to see the whole picture to understand it. I just love him unconditionally. I choose to love him to action and act upon his word and to be changed by his love and to have my love be a prize, a gift unto him. I've got to give God first priority in my life if I'm going to be a part of the last days church. I've got to love God like a treasure. I've got to give God the number one place in my life because true love demands priority. One of the biggest things we have a problem with in America is priorities. And it's probably the biggest thing we have is selfishness. Both are anti-love. Love is the most important thing, and love is the key to the power of the Holy Spirit being unleashed in a church. The uh, Azusa Street Revival, these people love God so much that in despite of ridicule and persecution, they would sit, sometimes one, at moments they'd be shouting in exuberance and praising to God. No piano, dirt floor, flies flying around because it used to be a stable. Most of them were illiterate, African-American people. But I remember what one said at the preacher, that he would just sit. They didn't even have a pulpit, no microphone, no nothing. That they would have two milk cartons or two shoe boxes, and he would just, most of the service, sit there with his head between his knees, resting on those, and they would just sometimes wait in silence for God to show up. Because God was a treasure. He was a priority. He was something worth sacrificing for. He was something worth choosing for. And it was something to go after. That I love God enough that He... I'm not leaving this place until I meet Him. I'm not leaving this place until His Spirit comes out. And that was the kind of love for God that birthed the Pentecostal movement in America. People willing to wait on God because they loved Him that much. Man. You know, there's no amount of preaching in the world. I could stand here for 30 years, and I love you all very much. You are my favorite people. There's no amount of preaching in the world that will change people into that. It's only to respond to the Spirit of God working in our lives and say, Yes, God, I will do the hard thing. I will choose to sacrifice my wants, my desires, my thoughts, my feelings to give you everything because I love you that much. And I can tell you, in the last days of the church in America, as we see our nation decline, Europe is a, is a vision of what America is going to happen to America. You can look at Europe today. There's always a remnant in every pocket of the world. Even in the most persecuted places, there's a remnant. Most dry and barren places, there's an oasis that God is pouring. His Spirit's always moving, always filling those who are hungry. We've got to be calm and remain a church that is willing to sacrifice our time our energy, our resources, because we love God so very much that we don't want to leave this place until we encounter His presence. Revelation, I'm going to close with this. Revelation 12, 11. After seeing and hearing, if you would read Revelation, you would know about the church of Ephesus that toiled, persevered, put away evil, tested false doctrine, didn't grow weary in their faith, but God says, you left my first love. You left your first love. All kinds of good works, but you didn't keep the love. And so Revelation twelve eleven at the end of the church that does make it, here's what it said of them. 
And they overcame him, the devil, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. That could be self for us today. We might not be faced with physical death, but right now we're called to crucify the flesh. Even when faced with crucifying my flesh, even when faced with crucifying my priorities, my uh, excuses, my beliefs, my opinions, my feelings, my time, did I love my life? Do I love... He says, they did not love their life because they gave it all to God. They loved Him more than they loved themselves. Because love is a selfless act to sacrifice for the benefit of someone else. It is a choice to sacrifice for the benefit of someone else. And I choose to sacrifice my life for the glory of God. To lay down my thoughts, my feelings, my priorities, my agenda, my time. Say, God, my love is a prize and a gift to you. You are my priority. I want to be a part of that people that gets the fullness of the Holy Spirit into the depths of my soul, strengthening the power that no one even can understand because I am so together with you people in this room. I'm so together with those people in Africa. I'm so connected with you because I love God, I love His body, and I hate the world. This world is not my home. And so, uh, Lane, if you'll hit that CD tonight, we're going to close in prayer, and I want us to find... We've got 15, 20 minutes. I want us tonight, you can wait on the rain. It's raining cats and dogs out there. You don't want to get wet? Stay in here and pray. Hallelujah. Right? Uh, Amen. I want us to find, here's what I felt this week even, I want us to do. I just want us to find a place of prayer. I want us to just spend time in the presence of God. Just get captivated by His love again. Can we take just, push life on pause? Push your week on pause and just get all into the presence of God and let His love just fill this place. Man, God can move in quiet time, right?